The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon and welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, where this week, as every week, we're working our fingers to the bone to make sure you get the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And on today's show, we're going to talk about something that a lot of people don't think about when they think about real estate, which is kind of insane because it's sort of the definition of real estate. And that is investing in land, like vacant land, like no houses, no mobile homes, no, no nothing on that land. It's something that wealthy people, of course, done for literally generations. It's a traditional way of growing wealth in a family is to buy some land and then sit on it. But there's other things that you can do. And surprisingly, my guest today to discuss this interesting little niche is Kathy Kennebrook. Why is that a surprise? Because the other, I don't know, 12 times she's been on Real Live Real Estate over the past, uh, gosh, 20 years, uh, she has talked about the thing that she's best known for, which is marketing. She's uh, known as the marketing magic lady. And I know many of you have seen her at conventions, at your real estate association. But it turns out that the other thing that she's super duper passionate about is land investing. She's joining us today from her home in South Florida. Kathy, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you. Glad to be here. And you're talking about one of my favorite subjects. Yeah. And I got to say, you've been, you've been trying to talk me into this and into land investing for a few years now. And I've been sort of resistant to the whole idea because I'm like, yeah, Kathy, uh, that's great for you. But, you know, normal people don't invest in land. But the more we've talked about what you're actually doing, the more I realize that this is actually something that a lot of people could easily approach, could easily do things with. It's just another one of those little you know, you got to, you got to actually know what you're doing. It doesn't matter what the strategy is, Absolutely. but uh, going to try and open some people's eyes today to the idea that maybe they shouldn't be throwing away those leads where people call and say, well, I don't want to sell my house, but I do have this piece of land that I don't want anymore. So let's, let's just kind of start high level with this, with this, question that I had when you first said I was investing in land, which is what land? I mean, there's land comes in in actually a lot of flavors. You know, there's, there's lots, there's acreage, there's recreational land. Like what kind of land do you like? All of it. (laughs) (laughs) 
And, and there are, there are multiple types of vacant land out there. So you have like in city, um, you have suburban, you have rural. Rural is my favorite, obviously, because there's a lot of it. It's really available. There are a lot of people out there that simply want to get rid of it. Probably 60% of the land deals I do, the person is an heir um, never seen it, never been there, just take it off my hands kind of stuff. And, and we do a ton of those kind of deals. I got one under contract right now, like this week, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, already over the holiday. So it just, these are really easy deals to come by. And so we, and we buy them in a lot of different ways. I do a little bit of commercial even, um, mostly in, in, in the rural areas, which is what I really like. Um, but we do what we call in-city also, so that would be like in a suburban neighborhood uh, where there might be an HOA, so we know a house has got to go there. Um, I have another piece of land near a, a major stadium down in our area here in Florida, and like the Pittsburgh Pirates and other teams come to do practice games, and we use that one for nothing but parking. We charge mm. 15 bucks a head to park their cars. Mm. And so all throughout that season, the thing just continues to pay for itself and throw income at us. Mm-hmm. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of different ways that we like to buy lay vacant land. There's another company that I work with. Um, these are little standalone stores, and you know exactly who I was talking about if I said it. Um, and so we've done deals with them. And what they do is they buy the land, they build their building, they lease the whole operation to somebody else. So my what I do accents what they do. Um, so mm-hmm. that's another way that we do vacant land. Another thing I like to do with vacant land is hook up with home builders or mobile home dealers or manufactured home dealers. They package my land with their house, sell it. They finance, get the financing for the buyer and we get paid. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. so many different things. And then, of course, you know, I love leasing vacant land and that's like going to be a whole seminar. Yes. <laughs> and when we when we come back from the break, I, I do want to talk more about the exit strategies because you just rattled off like four or five that I wrote down. And uh, I know that there's uh, there's even some that you have done that people need to kind of keep their eye out. If they get a lead on a piece of vacant land, they need to be looking at different things that could be done with it because there's an awful lot that can be done with it. Uh, First, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, as always. My guest today is Kathy Kinderbrook, Talking not today about marketing, although I don't know, we may talk a little bit about how you market for land a little bit later on. She's talking about land investing, which is something she has been doing for a long time. And um, it's a it's an interesting little niche. Thought you guys would want to know about it. And in fact, if you want to know more about it, guess what? It's time to put on your calendar. The 2022 National Real Estate Summit coming up here in Cincinnati, November 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th. Kathy will be doing one of the all-day sessions on on, uh, Thursday the 3rd. And her day will split between teaching you how to find all the kinds of deals you want and teaching you how to do the land deals that you come across that are I would imagine pretty low competition. I don't think there's a ton of people out there marketing specifically to land. So if you're tired of 
you know, getting calls from absentee owners saying, yeah, I get 50 of these postcards a week. Maybe land would be something that you would want to turn to. Uh, so, Kathy, we were talking about we, we kind of jumped ahead to, I already have a piece of land. <laughs> we need to, we, we need to like roll back and talk about how to find them and finance them. But um, I have a piece of land. You said that exit strategies included finding a builder who wanted to, who wanted to find someone who wanted to buy a land home package from them. And then they go find the customer and they sell your land along with their property. Uh, you mentioned uh, commercial that you've got a, a connection with a uh, corporation that I guess you know what kind of land they're looking for. Yeah. And when you find it, they're your easy buyer. Uh, you also mentioned leasing land. Uh, huh? <laughs> what do I do with leased so, land? So here's the thing. Most of the folks that I know that do vacant land deals flip them. And it makes me ill because there is so much long-term income that you can create with vacant land. And, and we do a ton of different things. Um, for example, I, I lease a piece of vacant land right now to a landscape company because they need somewhere to keep the big rock and railroad ties and things like that. They need to be able to store that easily. Um, so that's one thing I do. I have another gentleman. If you're going to lease vacant land or sell vacant land, the first thing I want you to do is talk to the neighbors. And so we bought a piece of vacant land and the neighbor actually approached us because he has a worm farm and he needed to expand his worm farm. And so he is leasing that piece of vacant land from us. Had another gentleman leasing a piece of vacant land from me who owns a canoe outpost and he needed to put a metal building on it so they could store kayaks, canoes, uh, life jackets and that sort of thing. And then he actually ended up, he got sick, he got sick of leasing it and bought it. Um, and it was a half block from a major boat ramp that they used to, to get the boats into the water. So, I mean, I could I could sit here all day and tell you Pine Strut is another one. Billboards. Um, there's just so many ways to lease vacant land. I have another um, I kind of have a tendency to lease to my own hobbies and I love plants. So I have an urban nursery on one of my properties. So there's just, you know, storage for RVs, storage for boats. Um you know, and same thing, no tenants, no toilets, none of that nonsense. Yeah, you you actually, as you were listing all the different things you've done, I, I was thinking, you know, what is really uh, in demand and there's apparently not enough of it is RV and boat storage. Yeah. And a lot of people don't, you know, they don't want to pay for the climate controlled at the marina. Exactly. Or, you know, have, build a giant garage in their backyard and gosh, it seems like if you had a big enough chunk of land, even in the city, if it was zoned appropriately, sure. you could just like put some gravel down, paint some, paint some, uh, you know, parking spaces in. And that goes for a crazy amount of money a month given. Right. I mean, those, some of those giant RVs will pay 60, 70 bucks a month just to park their outdoors. Right. And, how many of those could you get if you found a, a you know, a, an acre of kind of scrub commercial land right. in an area? Now, I guess you, 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 you have to think about improvements, right? You have to think about putting up a big security fence and things like that. But 
Um, I've seen people make huge amounts of money on that. And it never occurred to me that it was vacant land. It all started with vacant land. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, and even to get goofy on the agricultural side, I have another lease with a gentleman who needs some place to put his goats to feed. And so my lot, my, my piece of vacant land is getting mowed every month, you know, so <laughs> seriously, I mean, this, so there's just so many there's just so many. And then I have a partner in another piece of vacant land and it's a hunting cap camp and that's 166 acres. 166 acres. Okay. So, so that so brings I me around to half acre all the way up to whatever works. Yeah. That, that was, that was going to be my next question is if I'm looking, if I'm starting now to think, golly, I should be maybe marketing to land. Is there a minimum size, a maximum size, or does, is it just all about what's the deal? It's all about what's the deal, where is the deal, how can I change the zoning, um, all those kind of things. Here's another example. I have an acre and a quarter that sits on a main highway um, in North Florida, and it's not that piece of land is not entirely cleared, just like probably the front half acre or so is cleared, and the rest of it is not. And I use that one for variable um, leasing. So I, that, for example, over the holidays, it ends up getting li- uh, leased to Christmas tree, boot, you know, mm-hmm. the booths that sell the Christmas trees. Fourth mm-hmm. of July, it'll be fireworks. Um, the political folks, they'll bring like a big tractor trailer in there that has like the big ad for their candidate on the side of it. They'll park that there. So it get veg- vegetable, it's been a vegetable stand. So it gets all kinds of different usages and it faces a, a main highway. And so mm-hmm. these are short-term leases on one piece of land. Mm-hmm. Just so many opportunities. <laughs> I could, I can feel your excitement about, <laughs> about land. And I, I, I get the impression that you feel like not enough people have really thought yeah. this through and are, are taking land seriously. Right. Um, you've been, you've been doing it for a lot of years and obviously you have a lot of experience with that kind of eye of looking at a piece of land and saying, what could we do with this? Are there ever, are there ever, uh, land deals that you just turn down because you don't, the, the economic value isn't there? And what, what would be an example of that? Absolutely. Um, it's all about doing your due diligence when you when you're looking to buy a piece of land. It's landlocked and there's no way to, to clear that up, although a lot of times there is, but sometimes there's not. So no access. Yeah, there's no access. Uh, the piece of land is somewhere nasty, like you've got two nasty neighbors with garbage everywhere. I'm not into that. Um it's, you know, it's, and, and think about other parts of the country, like in North Carolina, it's like, like right up down on the side of a mountain. You know, we may not want to do that. Um, it's really, really hilly. It's really, really rocky. So you've got to check your topography. Um, think about what your zoning is. Can I change that zoning to something else and use that piece of land um, and adapt that to, to something else that I want to do? So, yeah, um, it's all about due diligence. Um, I actually had a student in Texas who accidentally bought a piece of vacant land site on sea. Um, and it was, oh, I can't remember, like five or six acres, good sized piece of land. And when he got there, it was loaded with tires, like tires everywhere. So they ended up using the tires. They built a berm. They bought in, brought in dirt and he changed it to an archery range. Oh, well, that's, that's, so he that's, got that's, saved. That's a, yeah, that's, that's a good use. And, and but there you know, are just former... a lot different opportunities. 
Well, I think I think a, a piece of the due diligence needs to be what was the former use of that land? Because exactly. I can tell you in Ohio, they probably would have made you remove those tires to a special dump and it would have been very, very expensive, uh, little project to do that. Right. And, um, equally, uh, I get a lot of calls from people here in, in our city who are very excited because they have a piece of land that, that they are able to get for like $500. And the first question I ask is how wide is it? Right. Because you have to check with your city to see what the current building setbacks are because they're all, they're all, yo, there's, you know, there people are putting up $300,000 houses in this neighborhood. And I say not on a 25 foot wide lot. They're not because you, you know, the setbacks are such that you could basically build a five foot wide house on that 25 foot wide lot. And you can sometimes get variances, but boy, that's a big risk to say, I'm going to put money in a piece of land and then I may, you know, the city may not be in a mood to let me put, put, put a house back on the same footprint as the old house. That's what they think. And they say, well, the, the house that was there was 20 feet wide, meaning it was two and a half feet from the neighbor's maybe right. house. Right. But they won't, they don't let you build those houses here anymore. So paying attention to, uh, particularly in cities. Right. Yeah, it's a quote buildable lot in the sense that somebody would buy a house that you built there. The question is, what will the city let you build there? And the answer right. might be nothing, depending right, exactly. on the, the city. only way you'd get away with that is if the original owner had filed a, a variance to be able to build on the same footprint. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, you're kind of cooked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so just uh, you know, be be a, be be aware of what due diligence you need to check off before you sign a piece of paper saying that you're, you're committing to uh, actually closing. And Kathy, when you make your offers, do you usually make the offer first and have the due diligence built into the offer to say, I get to do these things. And if I don't like the results, then I don't have to buy the property. Correct. So you go ahead and get them tied yeah, up. Basically subject to inspection kind of thing um, mm-hmm. or subject to due diligence. In, and that's in the contract. So I'd rather get it, have it under contract before I take a lot of time to do due diligence. Um, Cause we're pretty careful about that. Mm-hmm. Just make sure um, to build a due diligence into your contracts, ladies and gentlemen, when we come back from this break, we're going to talk about how do you pay for these things? What is it? What does it look like to finance a piece of land? We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Having a conversation today with a very excited Kathy Kennebrook because she gets to talk about her favorite class of properties that nobody else knows about, which is vacant land. And we've been talking through some of the things you can do with it, talking through um, things to look out for, due diligence that you might have to do. Uh, Obviously, you don't listen to an hour-long radio show and run out and buy (laughs) any assets. You there, there There are things that you have to learn that you're not even thinking about right now. You're not even like, you don't even know to ask the question. So I do strongly suggest that you sign up for the 2022 National Real Estate Investing Summit, where Kathy's going to have a whole bunch more time to go through some of those things than she does in an hour long radio program. You're going to hear more about that coming up here on Real Life Real Estate, because 
uh, we always make a special offer to listeners. So just for right now, put it on your calendar so you don't schedule a vacation or a wedding or anything like that November 3rd through 6th. Just plan to be in Cincinnati. Maybe get your plane tickets now if you're worried about those prices continuing to go up. It'll be a good time with a lot of different experts and eight or 900 fellow investors from all over the United States. So everybody, probably the third question they ask you after land and what kind of land is how much are you paying for this stuff? And if it's a big amount of money, who finances land? Okay. So in most cases, you have to understand that you're paying nickels, dimes, and quarters on the dollar for these pieces of vacant land. Seriously. A lot of the time I'm buying them for the back taxes. Mm. You know, um, that's just one of the ways that, that we buy vacant land. And so you can either pay cash for vacant land. You can use your credit card to pay for vacant land. Um, you can buy them inside your Roth IRA, which is one of my favorite ways to buy vacant land. You can use your 401k. There are private lenders. Um, there's a ton of different ways to buy vacant land. And the money comes back to you fairly quickly. So quick example, I have a piece of vacant land um, that um, is now paid off because she turned around, turned around and she got some money from somewhere and paid it off in a chunk. Darn it. Um, <laughs> But she bought the piece of vacant land for $15,000. I paid $1,500 for that piece of vacant land when I bought it. She gave me $2,500 down deposit when she bought it. I own her finance the rest. I got my money back immediately. Mm -hmm. That's just a a small example. Um, so, So a lot of the time, the money comes back pretty quickly for the piece of vacant land that you're buying. And of course, on some of the larger pieces, I've used um, partners and I've used private lenders on them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, um, it, that, that deal that you just described where you paid 1500 and then got 2500 down, something right. like that would be particularly easy to get a partner to close <laughs> or, or a transactional lender or somebody to close. Right. Uh, not that, not that it would be nice. I mean, you've got some time before you have to close. It would be nice to start advertising it and find a potential buyer for it uh, who was going to be a long-term user of it. But right. if you, if you even like, if somebody came to me and said, I need $1,500 or $15,000 to right. close this piece of land and I already have two applicants lined up to put 5000 down and pay 500 a month, and we would split that, I would probably say yes to Absolutely. that deal. So, you know, again, understanding what you're doing and being able to explain it to a private lender or partner right. is going to be key to that. And I think a lot of private lenders would probably go, well, I've never financed land before. So it, it would be helpful to kind of know what you're doing and also be excited about it like Kathy is, if you're, if you're excited about it, uh, potential private lenders and partners are probably going to be excited about it too. Uh, do you ever get seller financing on land? Do sellers ever just oh, say, oh, make me payments? To, this, this is one of my best ones. I have a piece of vacant land that I bought for myself. It's next door to the piece of vacant land my home is on because we own a, a vacation home in a rural area. And there were another two acres next door that were vacant and empty, and I wanted them. And so I started writing the guy a letter every 30 days, you know, when you're ready to sell, I'm ready to buy sort of thing. 
And he finally, and he was out of state and he finally got back to me and he said, um, I'll sell it to you, but the only way I'm going to sell this to you is a thousand dollars down and a hundred dollars a month until it's paid. And the piece of land was $10,000, <laughs> um, which I normally wouldn't have paid that much for this piece. It was two and a quarter acres, but I personally wanted it to do something. We were building a new home and I wanted to center it and put it on that part of that two acres. Um, as well. So, um, and, and we did it. And then, and then before we ever, we, we got about four or five or six months of paying a hundred dollars a month. And then I used a typical real estate kind of thing. And I said, you know, look, I owe you $7,000, but I got 5,000 in my pocket today. Would that pay it off? And so I have to ask, because I know there's a million listeners thinking this, why was he so anxious to sell it on payments? Number one, he said he didn't want to pay capital gains. And number two, which I did not know about until after we bought it, I missed it in my due diligence. There was this yucky mobile home on that property, which I knew and I already had a plan. Um, We've talked about that. And um, the fire department helped me out with that. And so (laughs) the town was getting ready to um, find him because of this nasty mobile home and the town was getting ready to find him. And I missed it in my oh. diligence. And so what happened was when we got the fire department to come out and do the volunteer burn, the training burn to get rid of that mobile home um, mayor shows up and says, you know, we haven't been able to find the owner of this property because we had bought it in a land trust and they couldn't figure out who owned it. Okay. So, so, so that's, he- we finally found out what the really big deal part of that was. He, some some CPA had told him your capital gains will be more comfortable if you spread them out over however many years than they will be if you pay them all this year. It's possible that he had some other gain that year that he didn't want to add another probably $10,000 to that. Who knows what he paid for it? But okay, that, that makes sense now. So uh, folks can go back in the... Um, recordings at, at realliferealestate.com and listen to your whole market. Like you have, a, we've done shows where all you talk about is direct mail marketing. Let's narrow that down to, I want land now. <laughs> Just, you've, you've convinced me. I'm going to go invest in some land. Do list brokers sell lists of land the same way they sell lists of houses? They do. Um, that's number one. Number two, one of my favorite all-time lists is the um, past due delinquent tax lists to out-of-state owners. Boy, did I just share a big one with your people. <laughs> um, 147 pieces, 18 responses, eight pieces of land. Wow. The last mailing that we did. Wow. Um, so out-of-state owners, delinquent tax vacant land. And in the counties that I buy on, I buy in three counties in North Florida that are four hours from where I live normally, the most of the time. They are very close to where my vacation home is. Um, and they actually put the list in the newspaper. In fact, I've been getting them the last three weeks in a row. In fact, I did a whole Facebook post about that and, and made a cop and showed a page of the list and, and all of that. Um, those are some of the hottest lists you will ever get your paws on. Do you ever find that these out-of-state owners are surprised to discover that they 
own a piece of land in Florida. Cause I, I occasionally will run across, um, people who, who are settling in a state right. and I'm, I of course have written them about their, the house that they have to sell, but they, I say, you know, anything else we ought to know. And they say, Oh, well, it turns out that our great uncle owned 200 acres in some place called Hocking Hills, Ohio. And we don't even know where that is, but if you would be willing to buy that, we could, you know, talk about selling that to like, they, they literally have inherited something that could have been in the family. Sometimes I find for generations, it was like, it was like great, great grandma's farm and the subsequent people couldn't stand to let it go, even though it has long since just gone to right. seed and tree and whatever. Right. And now, you know, four generations away, the people are like, what are we going to do with this? Right. Oh, the other thing that I get a lot, which I like is I'm not paying another tax bill on that thing. You know, I don't even know where this, I've never been there. I've never seen it and I'm not paying another tax bill. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So delinquent tax list out of state owners is the secret Kathy just gave away that I'm not sure she fully meant to, but there you go, folks. There's, there's the, that's just one of several lists that we use, but that's one of my favorites. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when you are, you, you just said that your the land you like to buy is four hours away from you. And I find it very amusing the people from South Florida vacation in North Florida, because of course everybody in Ohio wants to be in South Florida. Um, when you're, so I call you, I tell you where my land is. Do you drive up and look at it or are you just doing all of your uh, kind of pre-evaluation just with I don't know, Google satellite maps or something. Well, that's part of it. And and we'll be talking about this at length at OREA. But one of the other things that I've done, some of the pieces I, of land that I sell, I use a realtor to sell those pieces of land for me. And so now I have feet on the ground. So if I have a new piece come in and I'm really excited about it, once I get done talking to property appraiser's office and planning and zoning in the tax department, and they all know me on a first name basis, I'll call him up and say, hey, do me a favor and go by and take a peek for me, would you? And he'll go by and take pictures and, and, and uh, text them to me or email them to me. So having feet on the ground is really helpful as well. And that's mm-hmm. the other okay. thing. So yeah, because uh, it's, especially when it's, acreage as opposed right. to just a lot. I'm always like, so what am I going to go look at? Uh, am, I, am I really going to, I'm really going to hike across 166 acres to find out how wet it is. Like, I, I don't know how to do the due diligence, that, that pre due diligence on a piece of land. And and that's important because the, the flooding issue is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly enough, I had just listed five pieces of vacant land for sale because I, the way I, my exit strategy depends on how they come in, just like, just like real estate and houses. And I had five that I had listed for sale. Well, we had some really heavy rains up there where, 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 where these pieces of vacant land are and flooding was unbelievable. The rivers get high, the aquifer gets full and the water comes up from underneath. Mm-hmm. And there was so much flooding and all five of mine were high and dry and they sold wham, 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 right one right after the other. We sold five pieces in six weeks. Nice. And it was like, okay, I'm going to arrange for a flood. You know? <laughs> nice. 
All right, so we're going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about vacant land. Um, Some of the issues around um, things like insurance, uh, floodplains, things like that. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today about land investing, like... Is it something you maybe want to do just because the rest of the market, while it is softening, is still pretty competitive and you're not fighting off other real estate investors when you're (laughs) looking for vacant rural land or even often vacant lots in the, in the city, unless it's there, there is a high demand for building lots in like the really expensive areas of the city. Like yeah. I, I, I've, I've seen people get approached because their yard was bigger than was typical. And people say, well, I'll pay to have it resurveyed so that we can cut off that 50 feet because I want to build a house on it. So yeah, it can be competitive and, <laughs> you know, a half million dollar, million dollar neighborhood, but not so much in the two fifty, three hundred thousand dollar, uh, neighborhood. So dumb question, Kathy, is there anything that comes with vacant land that has to be insured? We're always talking about property insurance for houses, but do you even carry insurance on land? I I can't see what would really hurt it. No, that's what I'm saying. And and the other part of that that's so cool is, oh, hurricane, oh, I lost another tree, darn. (laughs) Seriously, I mean, you know, the hurricane and, cleared and, my lot for me. Right. And the folks, right. And the folks that lease from me, they sign a release straight up front. Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. not responsible for anything that's on that piece of property. And they sign other releases as well, like that they're not going to be putting tires or gas tanks and uh, environmental. So we cover all the EPA issues. We do all of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and in certain parts of the country, you have to be careful about, um, endangered species that might be on the land. I just say that because I was buying a piece of vacant land in Florida. And one of the searches they did was to find out if a particular kind of tortoise. Go for turtle. Okay. Go for turtle lived on that land because if so, it could not be developed. And I was like, that was, I was like, I would have had no idea. I had the title company not mentioned that. I actually work with the, the, um, with those folks where they rehome gopher turtles. We have a couple of larger pieces of vacant land that are sitting vacant that are just sitting there at this point and they will pay you, they will rehome them and they will pay you to be able to put the gopher turtles on your properties. And so do you have to give them 30 days notice like other tenants or do they just, <laughs> they just so don't. I think that's pretty cool. Cause I really, I really like gopher turtles. <laughs> Yeah. So, but, but I mean, it's no joke when you buy a piece of land and you think you're going to develop it or you think you're going to sell it to a developer and somebody comes along and says, did you not notice the bald eagle nest on your property? You can't do anything on this land until that family bald eagles moves out in 20 years. So um, yeah, again, reason to learn all of the ins and outs of uh, vacant land. So one of the issues that I had when I was trying to do my due diligence on this piece of land in Florida was that even though it was in kind of an 
established subdivision, not an HOA, but people had built houses on a lot of the lots. The guy who wanted to sell it to me could not give me an address because one had never been assigned by the, by the city or the county or whoever assigns addresses. I'm sure you run across that in rural areas where they just say, oh, it's on route 27 and you're supposed to figure out which piece of land you're looking at. How do you do that? And the thing that's interesting, when you look at the legal on the property, you know, it's like the big rock next to the third (laughs) tree. Um, (laughs) Every piece of property, however, does have a tax ID number, a parcel ID number that is assigned to it. So that covers the township, the range, the block, the lot. And so you can, and we'll cover this again at Aria. You can you know, bring it in, bring it in, hone it in, hone it in until you find your, your piece of property. And that's mm-hmm. the way that, that's the way that we do it. Um, a lot of the time you can, depending on what county you are in and how technologically advanced they are, you can go into the property appraiser's office and, and type in that property ID number and it will map it for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to actually understand what your boundaries are, because it's one thing to be looking at it on a plat map, right? right? And and some sometimes the plat maps are sophisticated enough to like show that this stream is the western border of the property. But when you're like physically there at the property and you're like, gosh, it would be really good if this stream was on my land, but I can't tell. Do, do you get a surveyor? How do you? We do two things. Um, good question. We do if we're physically at the piece of property, and depending on how big the piece of property is, if it's a couple of acres or five acres, we will walk it and attempt to find the markers. Hmm. If you can find and flag the markers, you're in good shape. If not, doing a survey on a piece of land is one one of the ways to increase value on a piece of vacant land. There's like lots of different ways that you can very simply increase value on a piece of vacant land before you resell it. And that's one of the things that we will do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So either we're going to be looking for the markers or we're going to um, have the survey done. Let's go back and talk about marketing some more. Because we're, I think, probably getting people super interested in the idea of land, but without deals in your pipeline, it doesn't matter if you're interested. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you are determined to get a piece of land. You got to have deals in the pipeline. So right. you mentioned the list, the, the, your favorite list. What are you actually doing with these people? Are you mailing them? Are you cold calling them? Are you finding them on Facebook? Like what? No, we're mailing, we're mailing them. We're mailing them a letter and we use the letters. You've seen my letters with the response mechanism in there, because the more information that seller can initially give you about that piece of vacant land, the more likely you are to create a good deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd be amazed, just like with houses, they'll write me like a whole thing about how long the family's owned it and all the things that it's been over the years and um, you know, and all those types of things and how much the taxes are and how big the piece of land is. And they'll send me a copy of the property tax bill. So I have the tax ID number and all that. And the more stuff like that, that they're willing to do, the more 
uh, the better a deal that you are going to, to put together. So one of the things that I do is my direct mail piece. It looks very, very personal. It's written in a personal way, but it has that response mechanism in there that tells the seller exactly what I need from them in order to determine whether or not there's a deal there to be made. Before my email loads up with what does she mean by response mechanism from people who, people who <laughs> did not listen to one of your prior shows, I think you better describe what you mean by your response mechanism. Okay. So a response mechanism is a specific set of questions aimed at a specific type of seller. So whether it's a house seller or a land seller, there are a specific group of questions that we ask them to get all of the information we can. And they're, they're, they're asked in such a way that we also figure out their level of motivation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is built right into the letters you're sending. Oh, yeah. It's not, it, these aren't, this isn't a script that you're asking them once they call. This no, is, this is right in the letter. And a lot of times I'll use a lumpy mail piece because I'm only mailing out 150, 170 letters at a time. The response rate, Vina, from this is nothing like houses. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The response rates are huge. So one of the things I like to do to push them up a little bit more is I'll put a flat pen in there. So they open it up. Now they got their little flat pen so they can answer my questions and they can either email it back or they can fax it back because some of these are older fogies, you know, we still like fax machines. <laughs> so they'll, they'll email them or they'll fax or they'll call and leave a whole message answering all the questions that I asked, which is very uh-huh. cool. Uh-huh. Um, so- I also ask them if they have them to send photos just to give me an idea of what it looks like. Okay. So, so the, the key to the response mechanism is you're asking the questions that would help you know right away whether this is what their level of motivation is. You're interested in what, what their level of motivation is and that you are giving them ways to reach back out to you that are not just the phone. Correct. The more ways you give a seller, doesn't matter if it's land or houses, the more ways you give a seller to contact you, the more ways, the more of them are going to because you're reaching them at whatever their comfort level is. You know, quite often, I'll even with vacant land, just like I do with houses, I'll get a letter back that says, um, just send me the offer. And so I'll just go through, I'll do my due diligence and send them a contract without ever having a conversation on the phone. Interesting. A contract subject to your due diligence. I always feel like we have to say that because saying stuff like that makes people nervous. They go, well, so I'm just going to like send them an offer and I don't even like, I haven't even checked to see if there's rare endangered turtles on it. No, you send them an offer subject to checking that the boundaries are correct, checking that the there's not a million tires on it, checking that it's not landlocked, checking. So it just, just like you would do with a purchase agreement, right? Subject to inspection. This is subject to other things that would let you back out if you found out something. Exactly. I mean, one of the like. things that we actually check on, and, and I don't do it because I just don't like it, is I will not buy a piece of land if it has a mineral rights deed on it. Ah. It makes me really nervous and I just don't do it. Okay, so that that would be where somebody else owns the right to drill slash mine slash strip mine in so like around here, you know, in Kentucky, West Virginia, Eastern right. Ohio, uh, people with mineral rights can strip mine your property. Exactly. However, if the um, if the uh, mineral rights 
uh, deed is more than 20 years old and has no activity, like they've never done that, it's expired. And ah. at that point, I'm okay with it. Right. Something something to check. Uh, the 20-year thing is probably something to- that we're talking about. Yeah, check check with your state about that because I know uh, you said that, and I realized that I talked to somebody who was uh, buying land out in Colorado, and that's a huge deal out in Colorado. There's there's places where the property does not travel with the mineral rights and hasn't for a hundred years, and right. even even though nobody has ever, I assumed, panned for gold. I don't know what they <laughs> what they right. dig out there in Colorado, but um, it, it's a really big deal to check for stuff like that. Yeah, a piece of land has a has a title from the ground up, and a piece of land has another title from the ground down. Mm. Mm. All the things you learn when you talk about new strategies. <laughs> well, Kathy, I want to thank you for sharing your knowledge and obvious enthusiasm about <laughs> the whole concept of vacant land and remind people one final time, you're going to be in Cincinnati on November 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th. And I'm talking both to Kathy and to all of the rest of you, because that is the time of our annual National Real Estate Summit. More information about that coming up here over the next few weeks. It's really inexpensive to attend, and it's a great event put on by a nonprofit association uh, here in Ohio that is meant for the purpose of making sure that everybody uh, who attends gets a lot of really good actionable information out of it. So we'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.